Welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show, your place for a detailed analysis of each episode of Star Trek Discovery. Now here are your hosts, Sean Ray and Rick Tatro. Hello everyone and welcome to Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. My name is Sean Ray and joining me on the mic tonight first and foremost is my co-host Rick. How are you, sir? Peace and long life, sir. <laughs> and also here tonight is my Cosmic Potato co-host, Mr. John Irons. How are you? Bob, we grind our weep ninny ball. Say that one more time. <laughs> If you don't get it, you're not going to get it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> and also, no stranger to Simply Syndicated is Mr. Kennedy Gordon. How are you, sir? Hey, Sean. Great to be here. Uh, so we're getting ready to come back from the break. Episode 10 of Star Trek Discovery is going to be airing in about three or four days from where we're recording this. Uh, we'll be doing an episode, as usual, to cover that episode. But we thought we'd start the new year off by giving you guys a, a bonus episode that'll kind of recap the season so far. So... Uh, we're going to go back through the first nine episodes and give you guys kind of a refresher course on what happened in each episode and what stood out for us in those episodes. And we'll talk a little bit at the end about what we're looking forward to for the rest of the season. And, you know, the, the, the rest of the season is only six episodes. So what we're, what we're hoping to see in those six episodes. So, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull up the Wikipedia page that has plot summaries for each episode. And uh, actually, kinda... you're going to find that to be problematic. That's why you just heard me typing because the Wikipedia page doesn't have all of the episodes that were aired. If as... you if you go to that Wikipedia page and you click above where it says where it says uh, wait a minute when you go to episodes right above where it says main article Star Trek Discovery season one, uh huh, then you'll find all the uh, plot summaries on that. Ah, page. aren't you it's smart? Like a, it's like a page within a page. <laughs> And it's got that great image of the uh, the poster. That is pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. I, I do like that. Okay. Um, does anybody have anything they want to say before we start? Uh, you know, I just want to say something really quick. Um, I haven't watched the show since it went off the air. I've seen every episode once except for the pilot. So I'm coming into this almost as uh, a very casual fan. And it's just because I've been busy. But my knowledge of every individual episode might not really be up to scratch. I've just seen them once, and talk about that. I have not. Uh, yeah, and you haven't been. You haven't been back on the podcast since the uh, since the first episode either. I don't think that, that's correct. Yeah. But I have not. Wa- I meant to go back over the Christmas break and watch all nine episodes, but it's just been it's been crazy busy for me, so I have not done that. So like I haven't this. seen Star Trek. I have not seen the show since the uh, since the finale of uh, of the first part of the season. So, so this is going to be the best Star Trek podcast ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, we're going to reca- uh, we're going to be recapping it. ourselves too. So. <laughs> I, I don't feel so bad now because I plan to go and what, rewatch them all again. And it was like I'll do I'll start it tomorrow. I'll, I'll start it tomorrow. Start tomorrow. There's no tomorrows left. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I do. I, plan I actually to... did rewatch them all. Oh, did, okay, I, good. I did, and I re-listened to all but the last of our podcasts. Um, but the um, extensive and insightful notes that I made are on my phone, which I can't get to turn on. So, <laughs> despite my uh, uh, my, I don't know. See, this this is how the podcast is going to be tonight. 
I can't even think of a, I can't even think of a big word for smart. That's where we are. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, Let's go, uh, guys. I do plan, but before the before the premiere on Sunday, I plan to watch at least episode nine again, which it will probably be the the new episode airs at seven p.m. my time, so probably six p.m. I'll be <laughs> I'll be watching episode nine again. So, uh, all right. So the first episode. Uh, aired on September 24th, and it was called The Vulcan Hello. These, actually, The Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars aired as a two-parter. So, um, But I'm, I will just read the uh, plot summary for The Vulcan Hello, and then we can talk about that. Uh, investigating a damaged satellite near a binary star system on the edge of Federation space, the crew members of the USS Shinzo discover an object obscured from their sensors. After First Officer Michael Burnham volunteers to investigate the object, she finds an ancient carved vessel. She is attacked by a Klingon, and when trying to escape, she accidentally kills him. A group of Klingons mourn the death of their soldier, dubbed the Torchbearer, before the outcast Vok volunteers to take his place. The Klingons, led by Takuvma, reveal themselves in a cloakable ship. Takuvma preaches to his followers of the Federation's attempts to usurp the individuality of the Klingons and their culture, and plans to fulfill an ancient prophecy by uniting the 24 great Klingon houses as was once done by Kalis. Vok activates a beacon that summons the Klingon leaders. Wait a minute. Vok activates a beacon that summons the Klingon leaders. Burnham, desperate to prevent a war, attempts to fire on the Klingons first against the wishes of Captain Philippa Giorgio. Uh, Burnham is arrested for mutiny. Okay, so this wow. episode was a big deal because. Yeah, well, I mean, it was the first episode of the season, and it was the first episode of TV Star Trek that we had had in uh, at least, what what was it, 15, 13, 14 years since uh, Enterprise went off 13, the air. So, uh, yeah. 12, 12 years. Okay, 12 yeah. years. So Now, uh, this this uh, this uh, summary kind of glosses over some really important stuff that happened in this episode. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> you know, Bur- Burnham didn't just try to fire first. She did a pretty passable Vulcan nerve pinch on Captain Giorgio uh, and then tried to take over the ship after she had had a psychic chat with Sarek (laughs) who explained to her that the Vulcans figured out that whenever dealing with Klingons, you got to shoot first and ask questions later. Um, And go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, uh, this, this is the moment of, uh, of Burnham's mutiny. And the discussion point for the rest of the season uh, up till now as to whether she was right or not, because and and a, a lot of the conversations I've seen and participated in, uh, people seem to forget that as the kind of third person om- omniscient viewpoint we have as a viewer, we know that it wouldn't have mattered whether the, the Shenzhou had fired on, on the, uh, the, the uh, ship of the dead or not. Uh, because Takuvma was there to start a war, he wasn't there. He wasn't worried about the Federation being strong or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. Um, but as far as Burnham knew, you know, she she got from Sarek that Klingons respect. You know, basically, you kick him in the nuts, and they're like, oh, "All right, you're worthy." <laughs> <laughs> um, so she thought she was doing the right thing. It just. Uh, it it was just the, the the right thing at the wrong time. And uh and then we'll see in the in the next episode it things go very, very wrong for her. 
Yeah, and she had to, I mean, it's like they had to have a sacrificial lamb, you know, so she kind of took the fall for what happened because she accidentally killed the Klingon and they basically blamed that on starting the war. And like you said, the war would have started either way. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I, I don't think the, I don't think her killing the accidentally killing the Klingon was what. I think that was a forgivable crime, in the eyes of Starfleet, but trying to commandeer the ship to fire first mm-hmm. is what, um, you know, is what is what sunk her, and you know, Rick made the the comment that um, it's the first time that. Uh, someone actually got consequences for trying to take over the ship, and and I think that may be true, but it's you know it's the first time it didn't work. You know, yeah. usually usually when they when they do their their hail mary gambit, it pays off, and this time it just it it failed in the most spectacular way. And yeah, I think you I think you're right, Sean, about the sacrificial lamb aspect because if. To not punish her as severely as possible would mean that there was some credence to her argument, which would kind of unravel the nature of Starfleet, which is sometimes it's okay to fire first. Mm-hmm. Well, what, so, uh, so, yeah, they had to make an example out of her. Well, we also have uh, uh, Admiral Cornwell in a few episodes talking to uh, Lorca, Captain Lorca, and saying basically that the Starfleet upper echelons know that it wasn't Burnham's fault that the war got started. Mm-hmm. I've always yeah, kind of likened it to the opening of World War One, which you know, the kids learn in school that it was caused when the Archbishop, Archduke Ferdinand was assassinated and boom, that started this global war. But it really wasn't. I mean, there were a thousand factors in play. Yeah. And this is a complete allusion to that. Yeah. Yeah, it also sets up a big character point for Michael Burnham, played, I mean, for anybody that's listening that hasn't watched the show, I'm sure, I'm sure there's nobody that uh, falls in that category, but played by Sonequa Martin-Green. Um, it sets up a big character point for her because she doesn't really play by the rules. She is a big proponent of uh, do whatever, do what you think is right, regardless of what your orders are. <laughs> and you know, that's, that's, that's interesting that you say that. Because you're right, pretty much every episode of the show disobeys somebody's order. Uh-huh. But you get the sense that for the seven years that she was serving on the Shen- Shenzhou, she didn't. Like, she was exemplary. Like, she never really stepped out of line. And I wonder if that is uh, a mistaken presumption on our part. Training, right? Right. I, I wonder if that's... Um, my mistaken presumption on the time before, or if once, you know, kind of in for a penny and for a pound, like once you're, (laughs) I mean, you know, I got a life sentence. Fuck it. Like why ever, you know, I might as well break this rule too, or that one too, or that one too. You know, something that's, that's been bugging me and I kept meaning to do it. And I finally just did it is the severity of her punishment. I'm jumping ahead an episode. I know, but, uh, you know, a sentence to life imprisonment for mutiny. I thought that was a bit harsh, but uh, looking up in our current military, uh, Article 94 of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, uh, a person who is found guilty of attempted mutiny, mutiny, sedition, or failure to suppress a report of mutiny or sedition shall be punished by death 
or such other punishment as a court-martial may direct. Mm. Yep, and as uh, Cornwell pointed out, there, Starfleet has no death penalty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah, want to sure. jump back for a second to what John was saying about uh, about her attitude, and I, I think that came across a little bit later, but it was obvious from the beginning, we sh- I probably should have caught it sooner, is that she does have that what-the-fuck attitude. She yeah. knows she's going away for the rest of her life. She doesn't care. And that's why she breaks into the lab in that episode. Right. Jumping ahead to you guys, sorry. But it, it, it really explains the acting choices that she made in those first few episodes. Because she knew this stuff. We didn't always. But she always knew that she was going to be the person who could just say, what the fuck? Go yeah, but, but she's also like, uh, you know, if, if I was in that situation, if I was going to prison for life, I would probably be, be out for number one. You know, just to do whatever is best for myself. But she's still, even though she's breaking the rules, she's doing what she thinks is best for everybody else. And that shows a lot about her character as well. Because the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's hardwired into her at this point. And one other thing that, that I've seen a lot of grief about, or, or not grief, but uh, whining or moaning or whatever, uh, is the fact that she pulls off a Vulcan uh, neck pitch and i was like oh now she's a vulcan and no she's not and we have quite a bit of precedent for that uh we have kirk and spock kirk says to spock i wish you could teach me that and spock says i have tried so that means that it is not futile otherwise spock wouldn't do it Mm -hmm. Uh, um we have data doing a nerve pinch and we have picard doing a nerve pinch I believe it's called a Vulcan death grip, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, I pointed out when we talked about that on the uh, first episode that even though she did do the nerve pinch, it didn't take as well as what we've seen Spock. You know, we've seen Spock do that, and they stay out for several minutes, en- enough time for whatever the script says that he yeah. needs to do you know? <laughs> to get, to get, for them to get tied up or, yeah. you know, but, uh, away. but when she did it, it's like Giorgio went down and Michael went back out to the bridge and she was right behind her. It's like, it just took her down yeah. for a couple of seconds, you know, there, so. you know, there, there is some of the books or maybe the comics. I don't remember, uh, where they explain that this is a psychic thing, not a physical thing. So it's not, it's, it's much like the mind melt. There's no, he's not pinching anything. He's actually, channeling something so that would explain how somebody from vulcan could do it but it doesn't explain how somebody who is not from vulcan could possibly See, i always always focus more on the nerve part of the nerve pinch that it that it's like a, it's a pressure point thing it's a you know it's a chi manipulation kind of situation um so yeah the anyone who is like somewhat dumb species or people may have more of a natural aptitude but presumably anyone could be you know, trained. It's a skill. I know as as that, long as every that, humanoid has nerves in the same spot, right? Yeah. In that part of the neck or that part of the shoulder, there is a bundle of nerves. My dad was a police officer for a while and he knew exactly where that bundle of nerves was because he showed me a few times. <laughs> <laughs> he would grab me right there and that will take you. I mean, it, it, it won't make you well, pass what, out. What were you like doing though? That's... Huh? Oh, he was just, Hey, <laughs> let me you show doing? you what I can do. <laughs> <You know? laughs> And, uh, you know, so, yeah, there's a bundle of nerves. He showed me the one in my neck. He showed me the one in my hand. He showed me real good. <laughs> you know, so uh, <laughs> there, there is a way. I mean, it doesn't make you pass out. It just kind of lo- kind of locks you up, and you really can't do anything when you get in that position. So, 
I can see where that bundled with a little bit of psychic energy might be able to uh, to knock somebody out. I, I also, like I said, I, I rewatched um, the episodes, and uh, when the cloaked ship appears, when it uncloaks, rather, um, Saru's threat ganglia do come out. Oh, cool! Yeah. He doesn't say anything, but it, it was like it makes a little sound effect, and like if, if now that you know that it's there, like you, you, it's—I mean, I want to say it's obvious, but it, it is—it is apparent. Yeah, I, I like those little touches, though, and you see that more in in TV shows of this generation and films where they don't really throw it in your face; they just yeah. have this thing that if you know about it, you love it. If you don't know about it, you don't even care. Yeah. Okay, let's move on and do the uh, plot summary for episode two: Battle at the Binary Stars. Uh, aired on the same night. Uh, this was the first episode that aired exclusively on CBS All Access. So if you if you had CBS on television, you could watch the first episode. This is this one you had to get the subscription for. Um, Takuvma convinces the majority of the Klingon leaders that he can lead them to victory over the Federation as reinforcements for the Shenzhou arrive. Giorgio offers to resolve the situation peacefully. But the Klingons immediately open fire. Starfleet Admiral Anderson arrives and again offers peace to the Klingons, but his ship is rammed by another cloaked Klingon vessel. Anderson has his ship self-destruct, destroying the Klingon ship as well. Starfleet retreats, leaving the Klingons to collect their dead. In the remains of the of the Shinzo, uh, Burnham escapes to her cell after encouragement from her guardian Sarek via a telepathic connection. She convinces Giorgio to try to take Takuvma prisoner, and they create a distraction by sending an explosive into a ship with a Klingon corpse. Boarding the vessel, Burnham overpowers Vok. Giorgio attempts to capture Takuvma, but is killed. Takuvma is fatally shot by Burnham, who is transported to safety. Vok promises that Takuvma's legacy will live on. Burnham is later sentenced to life in prison for her mutiny. Now, I do, I do know these two episodes have a completely different vibe than the rest of the series because um, this is kind of this is kind of like the prologue. If if this were a novel, this would be the prologue before chapter one. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess is what I'm saying. So it, it's got a completely different feel because it's all on the on the on the Shinzo. We don't even meet anybody from the Discovery until the next episode. So so it was the fact that these and that's probably why they decided to air these together because they wanted to get these two episodes out and, and, and let you be introduced to these characters because we're going to introduce you to a whole ne- new set of characters next week. It reminds me a lot of when we were kids and the Buck Rogers in the 25th century movie came out in the theaterist and then went to TV right afterwards. So that the movie was the big setup with a lot of different things. And then when the TV series came out, and this was a common thing back in the 70s and 80s, uh, but the, the reality of it is, as we know, um, Brian Fuller. That's uh, his involvement ended. So right. those those two are his, and the rest, you know, he gets a credit for number three, I think. Yeah. But that was it. So that's why the show changed so abruptly. I didn't get that sense. I mean, I, I, I mean, obviously, it's it's you know, there's a different setting and like a lot of the a lot of the the, the situation. There there is a a situational shift from the first two episodes to the third. But in, in terms of like the tone and the feel of the show, um, it felt pretty consistent to me. And I'm not 
I'm not disputing what you got to say. I'm just saying I didn't I didn't pick that up. I I definitely feel it, but it's it's more of a subliminal thing. Um, you know, I don't know if, if any of y'all have this same mental phenomenon, but when I think of movies or TV shows, they they tend there tends to be like a, a prevailing color. Yeah. That when I think of it, like yeah. Star Wars is gray, Empire Strikes Back is white and blue, and Return of the Jedi is green. Uh, in my in my brain, um, and with uh, the Vulcan Hello and Battle of the Binary Stars, they're like a, a yellow ochre kind of color in my memory, whereas everything else isn't. Um, and I don't know if that's just a matter of of my my thought processes have done this in retrospect because everybody talks about how different the first two are, or that's just the way it's it. It subliminally came through to me. Um, I know a lot of people were very put out that the Discovery wasn't even in the first two episodes. I, it didn't even dawn on me until I heard people whining about it, to be perfectly no. frank. <laughs> I really liked the fact that, I mean, because it, it, it showed me the bravery that this show is willing to do. They're willing to do something different because every other Star Trek series that we've had the pilot episode, uh, we're going we're gonna to give you a setup, we're going to show you a little bit of plot, then we're going to spend an hour introducing you to characters and, and all this kind of stuff. And they're setting up the series from the very beginning. With Discovery, 70% of the main characters that are on the show, we don't meet until episode three. You know, So I, it, it showed me that Discovery is really trying to do something different, and I appreciated that, so... Well, look where we are. Okay, we're we're in a world where we're getting Star Trek on TV again. We're getting a new Star Wars movie. I think every three months now. And all, <laughs> all, all the criticism of the last Star Wars movie was, well, that's not Star Wars. They changed things around. I'm really glad they are, to be honest with you, because I I didn't want to see another Nemesis. I didn't want to see another take on on Enterprise. Formula TV and formula movies were such a big thing for so long because studios believed that they could just make money by putting something out there. It didn't matter about the quality. So now we're in a, a state where we've got directors and producers and creators who are trying to surprise us intentionally and not general audiences. They're trying to surprise us, the fans. Mm-hmm. So when Luke threw that lightsaber over his shoulder. And they're fans themselves. Yeah, exactly. So They're, they're making the movies that they wanted to see. So these guys said, we're not going to do the usual setup, like Sean just described. We're going to surprise people, keep them watching, and reflect a more realistic storytelling, as opposed to the usual, well, here's the captain, throw them on the ship, away they go. Yeah. I'm all for it. I mean, they haven't succeeded 100% with this series yet, but I'm just glad they took that approach right from the start. You think, by the way, let me, uh, let me just clarify something, because I realized I might have sounded a little harsh on my last statement. Um, criticizing the show is not whining and not everyone that criticized the fact that they didn't, we didn't see the discovery in the, in the first two episodes was, was being unreasonable about it. I just, there has been so much wailing and, and garment rending and gnashing of teeth over this series. <laughs> well, is- a lot of that was the marketing's fault too, right? The, there are marketing photos of Lorca and captain George who's standing together on the bridge. So people were confused right from the start. The producers said, this is a story about two ships, which had us all thinking it was going to be like a whole bunch, like maybe a a star fleet fleet, but it really wasn't. That was all 
well, it was masquerading what they were doing. But yeah. people had expectations that this would be the cast they would see. So you get two episodes and boom, those people are all gone. I can see why people would be upset about that. You know, not hardcore super fans like us, but just <laughs> regular Star Trek fans. Not, not true fans like we are. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there were a lot of people that were hating on the show before the pilot ever even aired. They didn't want they didn't want to give it a chance, you know. So there were I saw many, many people that were just criticizing every single thing sure. <laughs> that they it's a, did. It's a prequel, so right away people get upset. Yeah, yeah. All right, let me read the plot summary for episode three. Context is for Kings. So this uh, this one jumps six months into uh, into the future. Six months into her sentence, Burnham is on an is on an unexpected prison transfer when an emergency forces her shuttle to be rescued by the USS Discovery. Spending several days on the ship, Burnham is ordered by its captain, the mysterious Gabriel Lorca, to assist with a scientific assignment. Burnham overhears Lieutenant Paul Stamets, an, an astromycologist, <laughs> I had to say that word slowly, who is <laughs> leading the assignment, dis- discuss an upcoming experiment with a colleague serving on another starship. Lorca is soon informed of an incident on the Discovery's sister ship, the USS Glenn, that has killed the entire crew. Stamets leads a boarding party to investigate and finds the dead crew hideously twisted and malformed, as well as a group of Klingons killed by an unknown creature. Lorca later asks Burnham to work for him, despite her sentence, explaining that he organized the circumstances that led to that led her to him so she could help develop the new spore-based propulsion system that would win the war she started by killing Takuvma. He also secretly has the creature transported aboard the Discovery. Now this one was another another uh, kind of a new thing that uh, Star Trek did because there were scenes in this in this episode that were almost like a straight up horror movie. <laughs> almost? I mean, yeah. If, if, <laughs> it, there were times in this episode that you really felt like you were watching a horror movie, and and I've never seen when you see those twisted bodies that they were just talking about. I've never seen anything quite that. I will, I don't know if I'd say graphic. I don't remember. Gross. I, it's, yeah, it was gross. gross. I, I don't remember seeing a lot of blood, but I do remember seeing a lot of, you know, heads. Troy not, getting turned into a cake. Yeah, yeah. heads not <laughs> going where they're supposed to be and things like that. It was it was it was strange, but it was an interesting to see in a Star Trek episode. No, there's there's never been anything like that in Star Trek. Yeah. Um, you know, Star Trek has been remarkably bloodless for the amount of death. that happens i as a kid i used to try to figure out what episodes of the original series didn't have somebody getting killed and like the trouble with tribbles was one of the only ones i could think of where nobody actually died well piece of the action i don't think anyone dies in that one either although wait a minute no there there's a hit uh just don't see it it's off you just yeah so yeah uh you know they kill people all over the place in star trek but it's always uh, been kind of like you know Imperial stormtroopers going down. Nobody ever bleeds. Nobody ever uh, suffers. Conspiracy. Um, that's the episode TNG. Oh yeah, yeah that's <laughs> okay. about as gross as it ever got. Right yeah, there. but that was that was like that was uh, <laughs> that was like uh, the 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 final scenes of of the Evil Dead, the first one, where it was all done with Play-Doh and silly putty. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I think all of TNG was done with Play-Doh and silly putty. <laughs> Um, 
I you know, I liked this episode. Uh, I liked when the tardigrade was a monster. Yeah. Um. I I really appreciated the the dark humor of the Klingon coming in and going shh. And what was it? Was it the security officer or was it Tilly who went? Did that Klingon just shoot? Just just before he got yanked back into the darkness and torn apart. Yeah, was, um, security head of security um, at that time. I, I can't remember her name, her character. Rekha, that's Rekha, yeah, Rekha I Sharma. I can't remember her character. Battle Star, yeah. yeah. Um, Canadian actress. Yeah, and and she's awesome. I think she should be in every TV show and movie. Um, <laughs> she's in a lot uh, of them. She she's 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 got her sci-fi cred all over the place. Yeah. Um. But yeah, this this was this was one that was so utterly different, not only from anything we'd ever seen, but also from the first two episodes. And I I just I loved it. I love all the risks this show is taking. They don't always work, but at least they're trying to do something different. And that's you know I uh, no I'm not gonna bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. I don't even know if I would call it a theory. I, I, I have a collection of observations that, uh, um, you know, some stalwart um, enterprising um, conceptualists could 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 mold into some sort of hypothesis or theory. Um, okay, so it's 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 racial in context, in concept, I should say. Um, all right, so the. First episode where you see the Klingons, um, the the general establishment of the Klingon race are darker, and Takuvma, who is the presumptive leader, is the darkest of the ball. He's basically black, mm-hmm. like black, black, not like you know African American yeah. black. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, like he's like crayon black. Yeah, like, like charcoal. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and the outcast is uh, Volk, who is the whitest. It's an albino. It's an albino. And it's um, a play on an actual African tribal habit. And there are people who have raised that as an issue. Yeah. That Takuma was a stereotype and that Volk is a stereotype. But it's based on actual things happening in some communities. Yeah. There is also... Um, I would say maybe less subtle but more subvertive. Um, in the first two episodes, uh, Burnham's hair is pressed. It is, it is very um, it's straightened. Yeah. And once she, the next time we see her when she is on the prisoner transport ship, um, I mean it's not wild but it's natural. It's natural, yeah. And for the duration of the series up to this point, uh, presumably for the rest of the series, for the foreseeable future, it, it will be natural. And I wonder if, you know, if it's just an outward manifestation of uh, less order, quote unquote, and more natural, i.e., finding less, her identity, less, right? Right, less Vulcan yeah. and more human, uh, finding her identity, or, or also less concerned with the rules of, of how people should be as opposed to, you know, just doing what you want to do. Well, the, uh, 
Um, on like, the, like the, hair is a big deal for black women. It's like a, it's a yeah. real big thing. <laughs> but the, part of when, it too is that you know if you look at what JJ did with the uh, the reboot movie in two thousand nine, he went back to a sixties aesthetic, almost like to explain why the original series looks the way it does. And I think they kind of tried to do that here, but use it as, as an opportunity to do exactly what John just said, show her transformation and progression from someone who's trying to fit in to somebody who, in fact, is being herself. Well, both uh, the the actress that plays Tilly and uh, Sonequa Martin-Green were on the the talking track, the, the CBS, the official Discovery After, after Show. Mm-hmm. After Track, thank you. you and you saw um, some big hair. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, Til- Tilly's hair, that that's hers. She has, like, this mane of bright yeah. red hair. Yeah, we do get um, to see it later in the series. It's very animated, brave. Yeah. Um, yeah. But they, they also mentioned, they asked about the hair, and both of them were like, yeah, we are so happy that we get to use our own hair. <laughs> um, but they didn't discuss it from any sort of... of symbolic or anything they were just like yeah no we're not wearing wigs this is this is the real hair this is and and apparently they had some some input into that and uh, i think that some of the reason why you see such a change in her hair from episode to episode from episode two to episode three is because they wanted to portray that that uh passage of time and um obviously her her actual face is not going to change that much in six months but they can change her hair you know, right. and, and show well. She's been a prisoner for all this time. She doesn't really care about the way she she looks. She's not on duty. She doesn't have to worry about that. And uh, right, yes, I I I agree with you. Um, but once she, I mean, not that she's back in Starfleet, but she's basically back in Starfleet. Once she starts serving on the Discovery, she doesn't change it back. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of layers to this woman's hair, guys. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're gonna tease out some meaning now, also context is for kings is the first and last time that we see that water stuff happening during a jump yeah um well the, my, the my head was my a head, faulty jump right yeah my head canon is saying that they haven't perfected it yet yeah because they hadn't they didn't have the tardigrade yet so they were still trying to make it work they were doing okay. little jumps so i'll buy that yeah, yeah. Now, uh, John, something something you mentioned just reminded me of something. I had a talk with uh, Shane Thomas of the Greatest Events in Sporting History uh, about this. This is his first Star Trek series. Um, in fact, back at back in our first episode of this show, I said incorrectly. I am not, I now realize that Discovery could not be somebody's first Star Trek, oh, and yet. Yeah. And and yet there are plenty of people that this is their first Star Trek. Uh, I think that perhaps I should modify my statement that if this is somebody's first Star Trek, I think they're going to have a lot of trouble with the other versions. Um, yeah. But, but yeah. that's a stylistic thing. It's not a. It's not about age or who they are. It's it's the style well, of show. Well, people are DS, using something different now. Yeah. DS Nine would be a good transition, I think. Yeah. From, yeah. from the from the new to the old. But uh, something Shane pointed out uh, uh, is that uh, when Tilly first meets Michael, and she go- and she has that very uncomfortable conversation where she's like, "Michael, hmm, no, I don't like that. I'll call you Mike. What, what did she say, Mickey or something Mickey. like that? Yeah, Mickey. Mickey. It'll make you more approachable." And and uh, Burn was like, "No, you won't." <laughs> and I I just sort of laughed it off, but apparently that was 
a uh, a less than subtle nod to something that white people have been doing to black people for centuries. Yes. Yeah. Just, <laughs> and you know that just went completely over my I'll head. I'll just call you Willie. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, your name is weird. Here, you, you're you're this now. Yeah. yeah. Well, so. yeah, I've experienced that in, even in my life. I mean, that, that, uh, my uh, my name is spelled S H A W N. So all my life, I've had a lot of people calling me Sean, and I'll tell them, hmm. no, my name, my name is Sean. No, your name is Sean. It's S H A W N. It's like I know how to pronounce my own name, <laughs> you know. So, but yeah, I could see that because a lot of African Americans have names that uh, that just sometimes it's hard to pronounce, you know. But uh, so I can see where I can see where he's coming from in that, yeah. The um, that very first moment, yeah, like when she shuts him, when she shuts her down about the name, like the next, the very next thing is a black alert, which <laughs> I laughed, I laughed so hard, and I and I don't think I I don't don't I don't think I mentioned it on the first recap episode, but I, I definitely had it in my notes. Putting it together now, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it was it was yes. It's like I'm just gonna call you Mickey. No, you won't. Black alert. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't notice that, but yeah, I do remember them saying black alert. I just don't remember it being at that spot, but yeah. <laughs> and the black badges too, right? Have you yeah. seen the which have not come before? back yet? Yeah, not before so. or since. Oh yeah, because that's yeah. when she they're 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 you know mm-hmm. marching the prisoners through the ship. And we see the guys with the black badges standing outside doors, and we haven't seen them since. And remember, we were all saying Section 31 at the beginning of this show. And for a while. For a while. And, and we we're like, oh, wow, that must be the Section 31 badges. And then, of course, we all realized how stupid that would be, because the whole point <laughs> of Section 31 was that you wouldn't see, you know, you didn't yeah, know they were there. Yeah, that was yeah. just the last vestige of Brian Fuller. That's really all it was. Yeah, this this series, I will I will say they do have more than a few uh, loose ends that didn't go anywhere, like the black badges, like where did the tardigrade come from? I feel like it's too early for that. We're only we only got eight episodes. Yeah, Um, but if 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 this show is as good as I think it is, it is laying seeds that'll sprout two or three seasons from now. This is like lost level stuff, man. Yeah. <laughs> Don't say that. Or, or I'll say never, that. Lost never <laughs> wraps that stuff up. <laughs> Kennedy, Kennedy's been trying to get me to appreciate Lost for almost a decade. No, uh, no, I mean I love Lost, but Lost planted seeds that they never had any intention of going back to. <laughs> but then they they wrapped them up. Most of them, seeds that didn't there exist. Were, there were a few. They threw, out there they threw there. stuff in at the end that. Um, yeah. That's a whole different podcast, guys. Yeah, <laughs> we've already done that one. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's do uh, episode four. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. Lorcan assigned episode titles are brutal. I mean, yeah, I, I, I like them, but you always wait for that moment where you understand what it means. Most well, of them have I'm... most of them yeah. have literary. Uh, you know, they, they refer to they refer to literature yeah. in some way. But it's always a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I feel like it's it's not. I feel like it only works in context. I mean, like just like everything else. Um, but you know, like some some 
other series, other Star Trek series titles would be something like, you know, Faith. Yeah. Or, you know, um, day. <laughs> The Last Try. I'm like, how am I supposed to remember what the... F- I don't know what that is. <laughs> like, like That's you guys one with George are, Michael's on, right? You, you, were, you were talking about, like, the super, the Star Trek super fans versus the casual fans. I consider... I would say I'm a casual fan. I might be, like, casual fan, you know, first grade casual fan, like, first level. But I'm not, you know... I like I don't know the names of episodes except for like maybe yeah, it was probably like five to ten episodes that you say the title I know what it is. Well, the thing but, is, most 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 shows now I mean they have titles, but a lot of times you don't you never know what the title is because they don't display titles on the screens the way that they did when the Next Generation and Deep Space Nine were on the air. They don't do it for this show, and they don't do it for a lot of the shows that are on TV now. But if you go and you look up the show on Netflix. Not all the episodes have titles, but when they aired on TV, unless you looked at it on your direct TV menu or something like that, it was just, you know, episode four of season right, five. Right, right, right. <laughs> episode two or four. Yeah. But, there, there's an episode well, of, T- of the original series called For the World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. And that <laughs> actually happens in the episode. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the original series. Isn't there one? Is, isn't there one titled something like "I Have No Mouth and Yet I Need to Scream" or something like that? No. I, what did I see that on? I saw that. I think that was a nightmare episode. you had one time. That <laughs> <laughs> may have been an episode of Black Mirror or something like that. That was a Black Mirror <laughs> or yeah. Twilight Zone. There was a Twilight Zone marathon on this weekend. So, <laughs> okay. Hey, you want uh, to you want to hear something that that'll blow your mind? What's that? None of the X Files episodes ever had a title until they came out on DVD or I video. That. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But yet every episode of Friends yeah. is called The One With. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yep. <laughs> Lorca assigns Burnham to study the creature from the Glen dubbed a tardigrade to find a way to use its biology as a weapon. Starfleet orders discovery to the Dilithium mining colony Corvin 2, which is under Klingon attack. Stamets is reluctant to make such a long jump using the spores. And when the drive is activated, the ship nearly collides with a star. Lorca sends Commander Landry to keep Burnham's research on track, and she attempts to sedate the tardigrade that she has named Ripper to cut off its claw. It kills her. Burnham believes that Ripper was acting in self-defense and is drawn to the spores. Stamets and Burnham transport it to engineering where it connects to the spore drive and inter- to the spore drive, excuse me, drive, and interfaces with the navigation system. The ship successfully makes the jump to Corvin 2 and saves the colony. On Takuvma's stranded ship, Klingon leader Cole earns the loyalty of Takuvma's desperate followers and leaves Vok to die in the wreckage of the Shinzo. Lorel, secretly loyal to Vok, Shinzo, excuse me. Lorel, secretly loyal to Vok, promises a way for them to win the war for the house of Takuvma. But we don't know what that is. <gasps> and and we we get introduced to my favorite character of the whole show because as much as i love everyone on uh, uh you know i love burnham uh and tilly and ash who we may yet in but Lorel is so freaking awesome because yeah. i have no idea what she's doing now i'll grant you you know as, as we've said many times every prediction we've made for this show has been incredibly wrong which is another thing i love about it is <laughs> we think we know where it's going and it doesn't but uh laurel is just 
Is she conning everybody? Is she telling anyone the truth? Has one word that's come out of her mouth been for real to anyone yet? Uh, it's just, she's awesome. Dude, I, is she Worf's mom? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, da, da, da. And, and the actress that plays her, that I don't Mary Chifo. Yeah. She does an incredible job of portraying emotion through all that makeup. All the oh, yeah. really are. But she's she, doing, she's but one of the few on this show that can do that. Yeah, and she because a lot of that makeup is problematic. Yeah, and she and, and I think the makeup helps her to be able to seem so mysterious, and yet she can portray emotion at the same time. So it's it, it's weird how that, that plays off of each other, but it but it works. And sadly, this is when we lost Commander Landry, who was played by Rekha Sharma, um, in kind of a stupid way, but it. It, it it also made sense for her character because she it was very clear to me anyway I you know my interpretation of her is that she is loyal to <clears throat> excuse me she's loyal to Lorca far beyond just he's my boss or he's my commanding officer uh, if they didn't have some why. sort of reaction uh, relationship she then at the very least, she's in love with him. Uh, and so she thinks that, you know, she's going to, she's going to garner favor with him or, or get done what he wants done by gassing the tardigrade and just going in and cutting one of its arms off. And then she gets skewered. And uh, kind it, in, you know, in a, on the one hand, it's a, it's a stupid way to die, but on the, on the other hand, it makes perfect sense for her character. Yeah, and it was it was kind of surprising because you really felt like she was going to be one of the main characters of the show because she was a senior officer for one thing, and she was an actor that we've seen in other stuff before. So you, I mean, I really thought that she was going to be at least through the first season, you know, and to see her die that quickly makes me think, oh, you know, they're not scared; they'll, they'll kill anybody. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, that was that was interesting and that was good. Anybody have anything else? <laughs> no, this one was pretty, pretty straightforward. It's a one and done. One Although thing we all, did, I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was gonna say we we you know we almost saw some Parmok <laughs> on the uh, on the Shenzhou, the wreckage of the well, Shenzhou. Just oh. go 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 back to Wikipedia. The, the the line at the end, it says Stamets' reflection does not walk away from a mirror when he does. We're not that's there the yet. First... We're not there. We're not, that's the next episode. <laughs> Oh wow! Sorry, dudes. <laughs> <It's okay. laughs> um, I, I I think um, this is the first of the series that I said felt like old school Star Trek because you know there was a there was a sciency problem, there was alien interaction, there was a sciency problem, and there was kind of a, a ticking clock in that they had to you know they had to go and save the miners, and you know. Uh, a risk and science save the day and they make the jump at just the last moment and they save the day at just like just the last moment um and it, it it everything else up until this point had been kind of a you know uh didn't really stand on its own as a as an individual episode like it was all kind of part of like you said Sean kind of the backstory and i felt like this was the first one that 
um, I mean, obviously it tied into what happened before and what happened after, but this was the first one that like they, they could have just picked that thing up and, you know, it, it was fairly self-contained. Yeah. This is what I'm trying to go. With. Now, before we run, before we move on, Kennedy, especially, um, this is driving me crazy. Corvan two. This was not the first time we've heard it mentioned. And yet I can't find any other reference to it in like on memory alpha or anywhere else. I saw uh, something about it when it aired. I can't remember yeah, what I was rings. Oh, I think there was a Corvin that was mentioned somewhere, but yeah. And it's driving me crazy. Every time it comes up, I'm like, yeah. I know we've heard that mentioned somewhere. I think, before. Yeah, it, was, it was like on a view screen or something. I think there was an episode of, I, if I remember correctly from when I, I researched the episode, when we actually did it, there was an episode of deep space nine where they went to, I don't know if it was Corvin 2 or if it was just another planet in that system that was that was Corvin. I'm seeing if I can pull up anything now. Because yeah, I'm looking at it could be spelled differently, right? Because they mentioned it in the in After Trek. They they showed, you know, when they show all that Corvin 2 memory alpha. That's what I'm looking at and it's all from Discovery. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I'm just going crazy. <laughs> No, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that it said something about the, an episode of Deep Space Nine where they. Uh, there's another. Here's another page. Uh, okay, it says uh, Corvin Two was a planet, the second in the Corvin star system. This planet was home to the various other life forms, including the rare Gilvo animal in the TNG episode New Ground. So. Um, yeah, but that was. That was just a throwaway. Okay, yeah, got Alexander. it. Alexander, yeah. boys. Corvin Two was mentioned in the Next Generation episode New Ground, wherein the Enterprise <laughs> transported two endangered Gilvos to a sanctuary on another planet. So it, it was something from way back then. Yeah. Nice. All right. Let's see. Uh, next episode is Choose Your Pain. Episode five. After a yeah, month I talked of- about this one already, so you can just move on. <laughs> <laughs> After a month of successful operations, Lorca is ordered to protect the spore drive until it can be replicated for other Starfleet ships. As he returns to the Discovery, Lorca is taken captive by the Klingons. Burnham has grown concerned with the toll that the drive has taken on Ripper. I wish they quit calling it that. <laughs> Along with Stamets' partner, medical officer Hugh Colbert, Burnham convinces Stamets to take an alternative to find an alternative to run the drive. Lorca is imprisoned with captured Starfleet officer Ash Tyler and human criminal Harry Mudd. And in discussions, Lorca reveals that he killed his entire crew during an earlier battle to spare them from the Klingons' torture, but escaped himself. Lorca is tortured by Laurel, who wants the secret behind Discovery's new form of travel, but Lorca and Tyler escape before the Klingons learn anything. For the final jump needed to escape the Klingons, with Lorca and Tyler on board, Stamets connects the spore drive to himself using Ripper's DNA. Later, Burnham frees Ripper, while Stamets' reflection does not walk away from a mirror when he does. Yeah, like I said. Very concise summary. <laughs> yeah, so... uh so yeah, this is where we first get introduced to Harry Mudd, uh, which mm. brilliantly played by uh, what's his name? Rain, Rain Wilson. Wilson. Rain, Rain Wilson, Wilson from The Office, yeah. Yeah, yeah from The Office. How, how can you forget that Mr. Rain plays Mr. Mudd? Yeah, I, I know. He just oh. left, my, left my line there for a second. 
Um, but yeah, he, I mean, he played a character that we have seen before, but I mean, with a, with a big twist on it because he's, as we'll see when he comes back, he's a little more ruthless than the, than the original Harry Mud that we were used to is. I don't think so. Well, I would I would say that this is the quote unquote original since he came first. Yeah, yeah true. I would I say that I what we see as a more, the later version is a more mellow or as a more mellow, but still evil. Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, he, yeah. He, he's, he's, he's just some he, bad shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, he. He's, I mean, he's we, we're introduced to him. He's he's in the slave trade, so you know he's yeah. not a nice guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Go ahead, Rick. Yeah. What you were saying something? Well, I was just going to say, you know, his 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 episodes were comedic but by 60s standards you know he was still definitely a villain uh you know uh like I just really enjoyed it yeah like like john said you know he was he was basically selling wives to settlers the fact that they were uh relatively amenable to it at least by the time we meet them you know really doesn't that they're all from terrible situations and figure this is their only way out and then he's drugging them up and stuff and then in the second season, when he he try he captures the Enterprise and is pre- prepared to maroon the entire crew on the android planet, uh, you know, and then of course it goes wrong, and and he, you know, gets his comeuppance because it was the seventies and that kind of shit happened all the time, <laughs> or the sixties rather. You know, it had to all be wrapped up in a nice little bow after forty two minutes, uh, but I don't think this mud is any less or any more ruthless. He just it's just. You know, a matter of when the show was made, they could yeah, still get the yeah, laughs. Yeah, so he, he was a comedic character in the first show, so now he's. And this is this is an example of how brilliant this casting is because you're ready to laugh at this guy, but if you know this actor's career, his specialty is being deadly serious, and you still find him funny. Oh yeah, so, he's played he's played some dark he's played in some dark oh, yeah. movies, yeah. yeah. But then he slides into this, and he plays an actual bad guy. Mm-hmm. It's fantastic. Right. Loved it. Uh, and then we and we meet Ash in this one, right? Now here here's where we st- I start to wonder. Uh, does Lorca suspect Ash, or does he really trust him as quickly and as thoroughly as he claims to? I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I, I don't think Lorca quote unquote trusts anybody. Mm. I think I think he. Trust him enough. I, I think that I don't think that he is. I don't think it's a keep your enemies closer kind of thing. I don't think that he thinks he's an enemy. Um, I think he trusts him as much as he trusts anyone, which is not a lot. I, I think I think everyone is a everyone is a is a chess piece for Lorca, and he sees the value. Ooh, that's a Tyler. good way to put it. Yeah, mm. and uh, uh, yeah, that's yeah. Every everything, you know, he doesn't like or dislike. And they basically, when when Burnham comes aboard the Discovery, and I think for like that episode and, and like maybe another couple of episodes, various members of the crew are like, "Yeah, you're just." <laughs> they basically tell her, uh, you know, let me let's let's let, this is not. A lovey-dovey situation. If he sees value for you, then that's what you have. Otherwise, you, you, you're you either you're either useful or you're not useful. It's not a matter of emotion for him. And so it, it is. It is. I think Stamets tells her that 
uh, Landry tells her that. I think Tilly tells her that. Like, it's maybe even Saru tells her that. But it, but everyone knows the deal. Everyone knows that they're potentially expendable. Mm-hmm. But Makes not... Makes sense, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's but but they also recognize that he's. It's not like he he really is faithful to the crew, and he really does. I don't know. He's a, he's a really really wonderfully complex character because because he doesn't fit into any box easily. Yeah, like like all of the above is correct. Because we're nine episodes into a new Star Trek series, and we don't know if the captain is a good guy. Right. <laughs> you know, this is like brilliant writing, brilliant production. He could be the villain of the series, or he could be the greatest Star Trek captain of all time. We we don't know, and that's that's his acting, and it's it's the writing. I like the chess pieces part, though, that makes perfect sense because that's it's a management style that I've experienced, and it's hard to be the person being moved around the board, but often quite rewarding to be the person. Doing the movie, <laughs> you get what you want in the end, right? That makes perfect sense. And 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 even as a person being moved around the board, if I have faith in the person moving the pieces, I'm, I'll go along with it. Right. You know, I'm like, okay, I don't really know what you're doing, but I trust you. You know, I'm I'm devoted to you, or you know, I've things seem to work out when you do whatever, you, and you're always five moves ahead. So well, you and I yeah, both work put, for newspaper companies, John, so we understand exactly <laughs> how that works, right? <laughs> yeah. Although, um, I don't know if that's the best example of things. Yeah, I, I, I think that I don't think that Lorca, like you said, he doesn't really trust anybody. So I, I don't think that he is the type of person that is going to put his trust in someone that he just met uh, because he doesn't put his trust in the people that he's known for years, you know. So, uh, or that well, we believe that he's in this case, yeah. We have. <laughs> yeah, as far as we can tell. So, um, what about uh, the end when uh, Stamets' reflection is still standing there when Stamets walks away? Uh, do you guys, I mean, we're, we're, we're getting into an episode that we haven't talked about yet, but do you guys think that that was just setting up a future episode, or do you think that that's setting up something that we haven't seen yet? I think... Yeah. Oh, yeah, I got yeah. thoughts yeah. on this. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think it's an alternate dimension thing. I think it's. I think it was a time slip thing. Yeah, he he's come unstuck in time. Because the I don't, and I could be wrong, but I don't think the the reflection didn't do anything different than he did. It's I, not. It's not. It's not like the reflection waved after. You know, it's not like the reflection did like a tap dance. I, it just I, it just took longer to leave. Well, I watched it twice as I did. You know, my 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 standard routine for this show is watch the episode, watch Talking Trek, and then watch the episode again. And when I watched the episode the second time, I was specifically watching the reflection, and I couldn't tell if it just walked away just a little bit later or if it gave sort of a a, a little bit of a leer and then walked away. That's what I re- that's what I remember from when I watched it that he kind of gave a gave a little grin. Yeah, <laughs> I, think, I think he did, but I think Stamets did that. Because Stamets he, he, yours, like his face well, is he, so it was, plastic. Right? It, <laughs> I call it's it always weird. I would, I would just call it a smile because because <laughs> his his uh, his man was just like you know and I got you back or whatever, and so he was feeling he was feeling happy. He saved the day. Uh, that that yeah. would make sense. Yeah. 
But yeah, I I definitely think after, you know, in hindsight after now that from what we've seen, it's just a matter of Stamets's experience with with uh, piloting the ship or navigating the ship or whatever you want to call it. Uh, it has definitely loosened the grip of our time stream on him. Yeah. Um, and, and, and the whole show, it could be said. Yeah. yeah. You know, that's... I don't think he's going to show up as Q or the Traveler sometime no, in the future. No, I'm not but expecting that. Yeah, there's something about him that is going to be very important, and the fact that they cast that actor, who I, I've liked for 20 years, 30 years, uh, this is somebody they they have invested in, and that storyline, that character, I think is really going to matter going forward. I was thinking about that as I was <clears throat> as I was re-listening to the podcast. If it does turn out that he just becomes more and more aware. And again, not to jump ahead, but he, he indicates that he he's seeing, you know, whole other dimensions, like by the end of the last episode. Um, and if that's how cues are made, I think I would be okay with it. If it takes him long enough to get there, mm-hmm. I think I would be fine with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's, if that's how, if that's how you birth a cue, if they just become more and more sentient until they're omniscient, uh, cool. They can, if they he, do it right, I'll, I'll be on board with that. He is a big enough of a dick to be a Q. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, episode six is, uh, I believe it's pronounced Lethe. Uh, on his way to broker a peace deal with renegade Klingon houses, Sarek is injured when a logic extremist attempts to assassinate him. Burnham senses this, and Lorca agrees to rescue Sarek. Admiral Katrina Cornwell questions the decision and others that Lorca has been making. Burnham searches for Sarek in a shuttle with her roommate, Cadet Sylvia Tilly, and Tyler. Burnham attempts to connect with Sarek's mind and finds him remembering the time that her application to the Vulcan Expeditionary Group was rejected. She learns that the VEG would only admit one of Sarek's children, and he chose Spock, his half-human son. Spock ultimately chose to join Starfleet, rendering Sarek's decision futile. Burnham Burnham helps him (laughs) regain consciousness and activate a locator beacon. Lorca and Cornwell sleep together, but she is concerned by his paranoid behavior <laughs> and plans to take his command off him. His, she's concerned by his paranoid behavior that he pointed a phaser in her face. With, uh, Sarek, in with, you know, with Sarek unable to meet the Klingons, Cornwell takes his place. However, the peace talks are actually a trap, and she is taken captive. Uh, this is the first time that we see the disco shirts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been calling the show disco ever since. You know what's funny? What, what gets it, and I don't know if I've mentioned this on this show or not, is there were a lot of people that didn't understand. Like, didn't why understand. disco? I didn't understand I didn't. it. We talked about it on here. Yeah. yeah. That was us. We were two um, of those people. Was it us? Okay. I guess, yeah. I guess, yeah, because. because guy does a lot of podcasts, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Being former military, every base, every ship, they all have stuff like that. And so I got, you know, I was like, ah, disco. Yeah, that makes sense. Disco. <laughs> I wonder, you know, I wonder if the Enterprise has shirts that say enter, enter well, maybe not enter. That probably is true. <laughs> or the Big um, E or something like that. I, 
this this leads me to uh, a couple of thoughts about uh, a couple of thoughts about Vulcans. Vulcans are funny people. All right, so um, not really. <laughs> first is like I, I, the the whole idea of the logic extremist. Um, I think is great because it it you know the the whole undercurrent of this show is logic or emotion and you know the old Star Trek kind of had the attitude of it is better to have human emotion you know they they didn't necessarily piss on Spock and Vulcans but they kind of did you know they, <laughs> you know they kind of make made a lot of jokes at, at his expense about how it was weird and this show you know it, it's you know, kind of tapping into you know other conversations we've had about the new Star Wars. Trying not to spoil anything, um, but the idea of this or that is almost abandoned, or or at least shown to be folly, in that there's really not that much difference, because you can use either to justify what you want to do. Dude, you have so lost me on this. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, huh. Okay. Um, the the idea of this this binary um, light side, dark side, logic, emotion. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you know the these two things that are seemingly opposites, and you know this group chooses this path and in opposition to this other group that chooses the other path. But really, whichever path you claim to follow, your actions aren't necessarily any different. It's just, you know, whatever whatever thing you're using to justify doing the thing that you're doing. It's politics. It's echoed through the whole exchange about uh, Sarek having to choose which kid goes to the Vulcan Expeditionary Group, right. which is new new to us, right? We didn't know about this before, and all of a sudden we find out they've got their own Starfleet. Uh, and it, it, in the end, the answer is it doesn't matter. And yeah, I, I, this episode is the first one that I really started like browsing the internet while it was on because I it, it just it, it didn't really fit together, and I think that's why we're having a hard time explaining it. Well, I, I wouldn't say it didn't fit together. I'm just I'm saying that a lot of the things that we think of as emotional things, like like racism or xenophobia, or uh, you know whatever these that I guess the Klingons we would we would attribute it to emotion. They don't want these outsiders coming in. Whereas the Vulcans would attribute it to logic. We don't want these outsiders coming in. My, my only problem with this is uh, I had a problem with this in Enterprise. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, and they're continuing it now in <clears> – <throat> damn, sorry. In all of Star Trek up until Enterprise, the Vulcans were almost revered. Um. And oh, okay. while, well, yes, there was, there was a lot of kind of making fun of Spock, but he was also, you know – when, when, when shit was Everyone totally hitting the fan, they were in a higher race. He was the one that would pull, you know, he, you know, he'd come up with some, you know, right up through 
Star Trek, the motion picture. Everything's doomed until Spock shows up out of nowhere and fixes the ship. Um, And and the the Romulans were their savage cousins because they had emotions. Exactly. Exactly. And then we get to Enterprise and it's only, what was it, 75 years prior to TOS. And suddenly we've got Vulcans who are very emotional. Uh, You've got a movement within the Vulcan society to expunge emotion which means that they aren't completely gone that way yet, uh, which really didn't seem to fit with what we'd seen in TOS. It really didn't seem like a, a recent acquisition for the Vulcan people. Um, and it began what I call the douchification of the Vulcans, where suddenly not only are they no longer this superior race, they're also just a bunch of titanic assholes. Uh, and... He, you know, we, we see that in in the J.J. Abrams track, and now we're seeing it in this where uh, – and, and I heard this, – this was a great argument that I heard on another podcast um, last week where they were saying that Sarek is the ultimate he, – he's like the best Vulcan that ever Vulcaned because he's like one of the few that actually practices Idic. The rest of them – you know, mouth it as a, you know, we, right. we celebrate diversity as long as it's not here. Whereas Sarek just totally embraces it with his human fetish. And, uh, and, and this episode really shows what absolute ass bags <laughs> most of the Vulcans are. It, and I, I don't know that I particularly, I, <sighs> I don't want to say I, I approve or disapprove because that's you know that's not my place to do. I don't like what's happening with the Vulcans. I haven't liked it for a long time. It's one of the few things I don't like about this series because it's continuing this let's turn the Vulcans into absolute uh, slime balls or you know whatever. I didn't get the sense that that was all of Vulcan. I, I got the sense that that was. You know these people in power, or these extremists, but not necessarily a, a society like what is. Well, I don't know. Maybe Sarek is just an asshole. <laughs> through all, well, sure. Through all of Star Trek, it, it's always been his fault. When you think about it. <laughs> now, have any of you read Desperate Hours? I read most of it. I have not. Yeah. I still haven't finished it. I'm halfway. I've, I've become a terrible reader these days. <laughs> I I can't recommend the book. I don't. I don't think it's very well written. Um, that's the first uh, 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 Star Trek Discovery novel, and it's officially sanctioned by uh, by the powers that be. So it is for all intents and purposes canon, and it goes into a lot of the backstory of Burnham and and her interactions with Spock and stuff. Um, and a lot of the, a lot of their discussions are, wow, Sarek was a real jerk, wasn't he? Yeah, me too. He was to me too. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let me, uh, okay. The episode seven is magic to make the sanest man go mad while attending a crew party. Burnham and Tyler are called to the bridge to deal with an endangered space space creature that the discovery has come across. When the creature is brought on board, it is revealed to be carrying a person, Harry Mudd. He plans to kill Lorca and sell the ship to the Klingons, but when he is caught, he blows up the ship instead. 
Time returns to the party earlier with Burnham and Tyler called to the bridge again. They are intercepted by Stamets, who is aware that they are in a time loop due to his interactions with Ripper. Over several time loops, Stamets works with Burnham and Tyler to find a solution to the problem while Mud gets further in his plan each time. They eventually convince Mud that he has won and he ends the time loop. Preparing to receive a boarding party of Klingons, Mud instead is instead confronted by his beloved Stella and her father, from whom he had stolen her dowry. They take Mud away. Stamets reveals to Burnham and Tyler that in one of the time loops they had danced together and kissed. <laughs> this is a pretty good episode. This is kind of a kind of a standalone episode yeah, because I it, I, it didn't really have a lot to do with the overarching uh, storyline, but. I definitely I, the funniest. I wanted to hate this episode so much, but it's not possible. <laughs> it's just so much fun, and it takes the the whole time loop thing, which we've seen more than once in Star Trek, and takes it to its logical, if ridiculous, extreme. Because how many times have we seen on Star Trek or Doctor Who or any other show that involves time travel, where someone goes back in time to do something and they fail? Like, oh, damn it, we didn't succeed. And then you're like, well, can't you just go back again? <laughs> do it again. <laughs> yeah, and it also showed me that you can't exactly believe everything that we were told before the season started. Because when before the season started, I remember an interview, and I can't remember who it was with. It was one of the show, it was the showrunner or somebody. And he specifically said season one would not have any time travel. And then we got this episode. So, yeah, I mean, they didn't travel to the distant future or the distant past or anything. It was just a time loop within a few hours of each other. But it is a time travel episode. And I like time travel episodes. Star- but the thing the thing with time travel episodes in Star Trek is that every, one, every Star Trek episode that deals with time travel, they change the rules. Changes the rules, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, ru- <laughs> the rules are different every single time. You know? <laughs> so, um, anybody got anything else on that one? No, I, I mean, other than the fact that it's a, a, a tour de force for Rain Wilson. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah, did I, I didn't I didn't dislike him as mud in Choose Your Pain. I loved him as mud in this one. Yeah, he was spot on. Also, the big thing, too, is that it really cements the, the romance between yeah. two certain characters who uh, may experience some changes in the second half of the season that we can't really talk about. Okay, uh, episode eight is. I hear you say it. CV <laughs> <Civipacum> Parabellum. <laughs> uh, coming to the aid of another Federation ship, the Discovery is unable to prevent its destruction from a Klingon ship with their cloaking technology. Desperate for a way to detect these ships, even though they are cloaked, Burnham, Tyler, and Saru are sent to Pavo, a seemingly uninhabited planet with a natural, a naturally occurring crystalline transmitter that broadcasts the planet's vibrational frequency into space. Man, that sentence had a lot of technobabble in it. <laughs> they hope to use the transmitter to create a sonar for the hidden Klingon ships. They all they discover that Pavo is inhabited with indigenous life that introduce Saru to the higher understanding of peace, and he attempts to force Burnham and Tyler to remain with him on the planet forever. Burnham is able to fight off Saru and broadcast a new signal. However, the Pavo life forms adjust the signal to contact the Klingons as well, hoping to end the war. Cole re- receives the signal after sentencing Laurel to death. 
She had tried to help Cornwell escape in exchange for protection from Cole, leading Laurel apparently leading to Laurel apparently killing Cornwell to try to save face with Cole. Good lord, what a terrible description of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they try to shove it all in there, but Yeah. I will say, this is the closest I come to, if I had to pick my, whoops, God, I just yanked my earphones out. If I had to pick my least favorite episode of the series, this is it. Uh, this is so why you far. and I have been friends for so long, Rick. This is my, uh, this is the one that I think I watched over four hours. <laughs> yeah, I kept going to do something else and coming back. Um, I, you know, there are there are aspects of it that are, this is probably one of the most Star Trek episodes yeah. of this series. And, but like, I'm talking like TOS Star Trek and right. it just doesn't work. Um, the, the, the almost omnipotent Pavins yet. They are so, uh, naive. They're like a See, gene. I yeah. I, 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 I don't call, I wouldn't say they're naive. I would say they have an, an alternate perspective. I think they, I think they, you would call it naive. I would say they dismissed the bullshit. And for them, anything that is more petty or localized is the bullshit. Mm. Like they, they, they see, they don't want the band aid solution. They're like, no, 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 no. Let me just, let me just heal you. Whereas we, on our level, can't see past the band aid solution because we don't. We can't conceive of the higher type of healing. Well, and also this was – now, I'll grant you, again, I was expecting it to go one way and it didn't. But uh, this had very – this really seemed like we were heading for another Organian peace treaty sort of situation where, all right, we're going to bring both of you warring peoples to our planet and then we're going to spank you both and send you home. <laughs> um, now, they didn't do that, which I was I was very glad of. Um and as you were reading this uh, this description, I realized, aside from back at the beginning, we haven't talked much about Saru. Yeah, yeah, we haven't. They 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 haven't they haven't really mentioned him in the summaries that they've been yeah. And the relationship between Saru and uh, and Burnham has been one of the most gratifying to watch as it develops, because there's so many layers to it. Uh, now I will admit I don't like Saru as a character, and not <gasps> from. What, wait, 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 wait. Let me let me qualify that. I'm not saying I don't like him as in he's badly written or badly performed or anything like that. I just think he's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think. Um, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Adam? Doug Jones. No. Doug Jones is marvelously portraying Saru, uh, and I think the the use of him in the stories is great. I just don't like the dude. Um, you know, if, if I hear I'm a member of a prey species one more time, I'm going to puke. I would love to see one time just he, as he starts the sentence, you know, I am a, and everybody on the bridge go a member of a prey species. Yes, we get it. And yet you joined <laughs> Starfleet. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I was thinking about this too. <laughs> I was thinking about this too. And aside from the fact that I, I like Saru. Um, I'm going to, I'm, I was right there with you, Rick, with the, we, yes, we know, prey species, run <laughs> fast, we get it, scared all the time, ganglia, ganglia, okay, <laughs> ganglia, 
Shut the fuck up. <laughs> but, 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 upon reflection, uh, how many times we're introduced to? It's a new show. It's a new species. Um, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but how many times does Spock mention that he's all? That's like every other line. That's not love. Like we get it. We yeah. get it. We get it. Maybe. And I and I, I agree that it doesn't fit as well because this is a different kind of show than the original series. But if we if we're gonna if we're gonna if we're gonna, if we're gonna let it slide for Spock, I feel like we should give him a little more. We should cut him a. We should cut him mm-hmm. some slack. It, 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 you're it, not wrong. <laughs> Data did it too, right? As an yeah. android, you know. Yes, right, right, right. It's bad writing, but it's still part of the canon. Yeah, I, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying we should be consistent in our blame. <laughs> okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I, I I I concede the point. <laughs> I also I was I, uh, regarding this episode, um, but we did the uh, the previous podcast about it. Um, I said that uh, both Burnham and Saru made genie wishes, wherein accidental genie wishes, where they 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 ask for something, and they thought that what they were asking for, they got the thing that they asked for, not the thing that they wanted. Um, Burnham asked for the Povins to help them with the Klingons, and she misinterpreted. She misinterpreted what that meant. I wouldn't say yeah. they did. And um, Saru asked for them to take the pain away. He was talking about like the sound that the planet emits, but they instead took away his constant fear. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Tyler also made a genie wish. We just didn't see it. So in the tent... Saru, Tyler's basically um, uh, distracting Saru um, while Burnham goes to reset the the tower or whatever. And Saru uses the crystal. They they you know, uh, and, and Tyler connects with Saru and or the Povins, and Saru realizes that Tyler's lying and trying to trying to waylay him, and he takes off after Burnham. The next time we see Tyler is when he just appears uh, at the at the base of the tower while Saru and Burnham are fighting. Um, the Povins basically teleport him there. I believe that Tyler did make connection with the Povins when he touched the crystal, and the thing that he wanted was to know that Burnham was okay. Because the last thing he saw is Saru's crazy and he's super strong and he's super fast and he's going to go stop Burnham. And Tyler wanted to make sure that Burnham was okay. And that was his... I don't know if he actually said it out loud or not, but that was his genie wish. Mm-hmm. So the Povins pop him up there and the first thing that he says to Burnham is, are you okay? I think... He's the only one who got the thing that he actually wanted. We just didn't see him ask for it. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. 
Okay, now, y'all need to applaud. That shit was genius. <laughs> <laughs> Here, I'll, give you, I'll give you this. <laughs> You've been waiting on that, you know. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, episode uh, nine. Well, Go wait, ahead, wait, 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 wait. We can't, we can't run along because the 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 description woefully underserves what happened with uh, with Laurel and Cornwell. Oh yeah. Uh, so on the on the Klingon ship of the dead, uh, Cornwell has been captured, and. Uh, Cole allows Laurel to interrogate her. And when Laurel goes into the cell and she confronts Cornwell and she's got this, you know, the, the classic rack of torture tools and stuff. And Laurel's like, all right, I ain't scared. <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know, Laurel says, uh, scream. And Cornwell's like, fuck you. I'm not screaming. And scream and and then they both they both start screaming and the guards walk away and then Laurel asks for sanctuary on the discovery or I don't know if she asked for the discovery she just says she wants sanctuary in the Federation um, and again I have no idea if Laurel is conning everyone if she's really legitimately trying to end this war or what the hell she's up to uh, but she convinces Cornwell that she's got a shuttle and they're going to, they're going to get off this ship together. And Cornwell says, all right, let's do it. And they get about what? Six steps down the corridor (laughs) (laughs) and they get caught. And then, so so Laurel has to pretend to beat the crap out of, out of Cornwell. And then ultimately quote unquote, killing her. Uh, and then, uh, we find out that Cole wasn't really fooled at all. Uh, and he, he says, uh, uh, makes Laurel swear fealty and then says, you're lying and says, take her to the, take, take her to where liars go or some shit like that. And she's hauled away and we don't know what's going to happen to her after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the last time we see her, she's, she's still unconscious and kind of beat up and bloody. And she, uh, the last shot that we get of Cornwell in that episode, she looks like she's dead. Yeah. You know, so I was kind of wondering, well, is is she dead? But I, I, I didn't think that think if, she was. if she was going to be actually be dead, I think they would have made it a little more apparent. <laughs> well, and also but. in in After Trek, uh, the the actress kind of gave away. <laughs> she didn't mean she she didn't mean to, but yeah. she kind of slipped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that she was, that she wasn't dead. Okay, so the last episode of the season is called oh, wait, Into wait, the wait, Forest. Wait. I go. I go. I go. I go. I got one more thing. I got one more for uh, episode eight. Um, On the podcast for this before, Scott made the point that, uh, you know, we've already seen the kind of super evolved, non-corporeal, you know, almost super powerful creatures um, in in previous episodes. And he didn't, you know, he, he wondered if they were related in some way. And I just I had the theory that if, is that not just how various species independently evolve? Like, you know, all these various societies developed like space travel, you know, without meeting. Is it is that just another inevitable step of evolution, or do they have to all be related? No, that's that's kind of the, something that we see a lot in Star Trek is is 
evolution ultimately leads to non corporeality. Um, yeah. Simple powers. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> we well, we saw it with the Organians. Uh, we saw it with uh, whatever John Doe was in uh, in that TNG episode where uh, where he's Beverly saves his life and he's gradually turning into oh, a superpower, yeah. a super creature. Um, I forget the name of the episode, but uh, uh, the you know it, it, or Sargon and his people. Uh, you know, we see it a lot of times in Star Trek that the the ultimate end of evolution is moving beyond the physical being where you no longer need a body. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you live on Triskelion, in which case, you know, you're three brains in a bubble. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Into the forest I go. Uh, Lorca is ordered to flee before the Klingons arrive, but disobeys orders to protect the life forms on Pavo and their chances of detecting the cloaked ships. When the Klingons arrive, Tyler and Burnham transport to their ship and plant sensors that will help create an algorithm for detecting the cloaked ships. They find an they find an alive Cornwell hidden with Laurel, <laughs> but but encountering the latter sends Tyler into shock due to PTSD from her torturing and raping him. Lorca has Stamets make 133 micro jumps in order to provide a three dimensional reading of the sensors, while Burnham distracts Cole by challenging him to a fight. The jumps are completed, though not without trauma to Stamets. When the algorithm is calculated. Burnham, Tyler, Cornwell, and Laurel, who wishes to defect, are transported back to the Discovery, and the Klingon ship is destroyed. Stamets volunteers to make one more jump to safety, but but tells Lorca it will be his last. However, Stamets reacts differently to the jump, crying out in pain. This alters the coordinates, or does it? Mm, And the ship jumps to an unknown destination, (laughs) surrounded by debris from Klingon ships. And that's not what happened. Yeah, I don't remember. The, I don't <laughs> remember the Klingon ship debris, but um, there was debris. We don't know what it is, and yeah. Lorca altered the coordinates. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so the theory the theory is that uh, that's been going around is that possibly the Lorca that we're seeing is actually Mirror Universe Lorca, and he took them back to where he came from. Or I've also heard theories. Uh, my theory is kind of that uh, Stamets being unglued in time caused the ship to travel through time. And so they're possibly way back in the past or they're way forward in the, in the future or something like that. But they're in the same spot, you know. They're just in a, in a different time. But I don't know. I like what do that. you guys think? That's cool. I, I, was, I, I didn't have a theory until I heard the one, the suggestion that Lorca was actually from a different universe. I don't know if it's the mirror universe or just a mirror universe. Cause he was talking to Stamets about look at all of these different parallel universes we could go to. Yeah. And I would love it if they didn't go to quote unquote, the mirror universe, because I'm so sick of that time, that story. It, it Okay. Here's my star Trek heresy folks. Uh, if I, if you haven't heard me say it before, mirror mirror was great. Anything beyond that required such a tortured logic to put everybody in the same place at the same time, yet being so different that right. it never worked for me again. Yeah. With the one exception of the Enterprise episode, it threw a mirror in a mirror darkly, yeah. in a mirror darkly, yeah. because 
it was it was kind of contemporary. It was like right at the same time as Mirror Mirror, or, or right before it, or you know. Anyway, it was like it worked for me for some reason. Um, but everything else, like all the DS Nine Mirror Universe episodes, I hated them. Uh, not because they were bad, and you know the intendant was they, they were bad. They were bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, they weren't great, but I did like the intendant. I, yeah, I like for 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 completely piggish reasons, I I am you know <laughs> <laughs> the novice in a in a skin tight leather onesie. I'm you know she just seemed like she was having a good time. With she you. was. <laughs> um, so I don't want them to go to the mirror universe, but I'm totally cool with the concept that Lorca is from a mirror universe, and he's trying to get home, and that would also maybe explain why he is so absolutely devoted to preventing anything from happening to Michael. Because what if she's like his wife in his reality or something like that, or his daughter or something, something like that. Yeah. Or, and it would also explain why Cornwell says that he's so different than, yeah. than the person that she used to know because he's uh, not the person that she used to know. Go ahead, John. I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> what it take like two three seconds come on man <laughs> but yeah the the wreckage you know i had i know people who have like frame by framed it and there's no telling what it came from so i don't know where they're getting this debris from klingon ships from i don't know um, where wikipedia gets this stuff I, <laughs> I, I i'm assuming that just random people put these in there i, I want to say that they that. got it from the actual script but i doubt <laughs> it <laughs> No, I'm I'm sure it's random people. I mean, that's what Wikipedia is. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, just... yeah. Um, I did note when I re- rewatched the episode. Um, so at the at the very end, um, Tyler has moment with uh, with Burnham, and he awakes, um, and goes to see um, Laurel in her cell, and one of the things that we um, had kind of noticed, like, well, with, there were no guards outside, he can just walk in, blah, blah, blah. But, when they actually, in the actual scene, the camera is inside the room. So, we see the door kind of slide open, and he walks in. So, there may very well be a guard posted outside. And he's the chief of security, so of course he can go in if he wants to. So, that that is a, um, that is a, that's a flaw that isn't necessarily a flaw. Yeah, that that never bothered me because you know Dave may have been at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, John, you're probably not familiar with Dave in the brig. Um, oh boy, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> this goes back to Simply Syndicated's first Star Trek show and the first Star Trek podcast I ever listened to. A lot of us ever Make listened to. Make it so. Make it so. Uh, they always talked about Dave and the brig. It was like the poor guy who was manning the brig is like, how often did anything ever happen down there? That's <laughs> <laughs> because Richard Smith could only think of one really great name for an asshole. And it was Dave. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then uh, when we started the star base, we just sort of appropriated Dave. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Right. So do we do, do do we feel like there's any definitive answers as to the whole Ash Vok thing from what we <coughs> saw in this episode or or no? no. Yeah. yeah. I mean obviously no. there's history there. He definitely has PTSD because of something that he remembers, 
but whether it's a memory of whether it's a good memory that he can't quite grab hold of or a bad memory, we're not sure. <laughs> oh, 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 hey right. guys. Yeah. Uh, I remembered what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> An hour ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you asked about, uh, you know, it, it was like what happened with the jump. And uh, we don't know what Lorca was trying to do. He may have done, this may have accomplished exactly what he wanted. And now he's pretending that he doesn't know what's going on, but in, he's exactly where he wants to be. Because Lorca, much like Laurel, is a master manipulator and is five steps ahead of not only the other characters, but us as the audience. Yeah. That's it. Okay. <laughs> I feel better um, now, now. <laughs> uh, th- there is something I need to say. I, I have to apologize because. Um, when we first talked about this episode, I was the one that went, hey, Klingon boobies. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I, the I, <laughs> but I was the first one. And, and I, I kind of regret that because um, I've since listened to other shows uh, because this may come as a shock, but we're not the only Discovery show out there. <laughs> <laughs> we're the best. There's a lot, well, the absolute best, yeah. There, there's, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> um, but I was listening to one, and uh, and they were they were talking about uh, that they felt that the the nudity, quote unquote, because she's anything but nude because she's covered in tons of latex, but. Uh, you know, for the for the the sake of the in in universe, the nudity was uh, unnecessary, and uh, was a little triggering to some of them. Uh, to uh, it was a, a female commentator, and uh, they they were talking about how they they felt it was uh, unnecessary and excessive, and and uh, and while I can respect that, um, I think it was absolutely necessary to drive home the point that Ash was being raped. This was not some voluntary thing. Uh, it happens so fast that you you almost have to like pause it and say, "Did I really see some Klingon nipples there?" Am I? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it would have seemed very odd if she hadn't been naked. "Quote unquote." Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, uh, uh, no. That I, I just, I think that her being actually naked made a lot more sense, uh, and really it, drove home and and left no ambiguity to what we were being shown. I I agree I, that it would have been weird, but it would also have been what everyone else has always done. Exactly. It would have been very yeah. TV. It would have been, been right. There would have been quick cuts, and you would have seen like a belly button and a and a naked shoulder, and maybe a leg, and like you know a, a slightly open mouth, and you're like, okay, well, we we uh, right, but yeah, this is this is the punch that they always pull that they didn't pull this time. Yeah, yeah, the, and the, the the thing is, and and I didn't have a problem with the scene. I didn't have a problem with the scene earlier in the season when we got the the f-bomb dropped two times in in that one scene but i did hear an argument that i kind of agreed with it also because there were there were people that were saying that there are a lot of people that became scientists and doctors and astronauts and all that kind of stuff because 
uh, they watched Star Trek when they were young. And if this Star Trek had been on when they were young, they wouldn't have been allowed to watch it. So you can kind of see the there might be a problem there that the, that there might not be kids able to watch this that might be inspired to become astronauts later. I, I would... Nope, I reject that. I do too. <laughs> I reject because you, that because, you know what? because this Star Trek doesn't erase previous Star Treks. Exactly. There's 709 episodes still out there <laughs> that kids can watch. Um, and you and know when what? they get a little older, they can watch this one. Exactly. Yeah. And in 1966, uh, some of the stuff that Star Trek was doing was not something you let your kids watch on TV. Like a black woman and a white man kissing? Exactly. Uh, and in, 1980, in 1986, I wouldn't want my daughter to see the end of, of in uh, the, that what was it, Invasion or, or Conspiracy. Conspiracy. Uh, I I'm sorry I watched it actually it was pretty just terrible. <laughs> All right, uh, regarding our, our previous conversation, I don't know the names. Which one was conspiracy? The one where they blew the dude's head up because he had a big bug inside him. <laughs> All right, okay. Which of course also we've never seen a phaser take someone apart like that. Usually they just vaporize. Yeah. Um. You know, it, it, Star Trek has always pushed the envelope with sensors, with sensibilities with uh with storytelling and that's one of the reasons star trek has been around for 50 years is while we can look back at tos and tng and say wow they really played it safe didn't they at the time they weren't um you know star trek has always sought to expand the boundaries of what is allowed now usually i will grant you that Discovery is much darker, much grittier, much more in your face than ever before. But that's what TV is now. You know, we're we're living in the in the the, the post Game of Thrones. Uh, you know, watch any any procedural on TV. My my wife used to watch Bones all the time, and every episode starts with some scene of unimaginable gore that yeah. never would have been on television twenty years ago. Yeah. They, they take that's a point of pride for them to see how yeah. good they can be. Um, you know, so uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, latex Klingon breasts compared to that to me is nothing. Uh, for a, for a split second. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, my I wouldn't show this to my six year old right now, but yeah. she also won't sit through TLS either. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I've already given my predictions. For what I think is coming about, uh, you know, Lorca is either is either from another universe or he's, or you know, they're in another time period or maybe he's got a, uh, something in his brain, you know, an alien's taking over his brain or something. I don't think that the Lorca from before the series is the Lorca that we're seeing. Uh, that's the only prediction that I really had. Do you guys have any predictions of what you think we might see in the next six episodes? It'll probably be wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't tell you what I think we will see. I can tell you what I want to know. Okay. Um, I want to know more about Lorca destroying his own ship. Yeah. Because that doesn't, that, that, that doesn't track for me. Um, you know, I could see him blowing up his own ship to prevent being captured. I don't see him escaping at the same time. Unless 
that's where the mirror universe Lorca showed yeah, up. Yeah, it was the other Lorca, right? Yeah. Um, and he got there just two seconds too late to save his ship in this reality. Um, I want to know, you know, I want to know what happens to the spore drive, why we never hear of it again. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that that will be dealt with. Um, I'm not sure I want to be dealt with this season. That may be something that happens later. Cause I think that they've got more stories to tell with the spore drive. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, and I want to know what Lorel's up to. Uh, don't don't know if that'll happen this semester this semester <laughs> this season either. I think but. it will. I think all I think the Klingon stuff will get wrapped up this season, uh, because from what I read before the series started, uh, the next season, what they're talking about is maybe not all of the characters from this season carrying over to the next season, and it being something kind of different. Maybe it takes place a few years later or something like that. But I think that the Klingon stuff is all going to get wrapped up in this, in this season and next season, we'll be seeing some of these characters doing something completely different. Maybe. Mm. What do you think, John? Um, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm good with what they're doing. Like I, um, I'm trying to think of anything that I particularly want to know. Like I, I can't even say what I want to see by the end of the season because if they do it right, they can they can string a story out. Uh, again, like the way that they ended the mid season, I had I had no expectation that they were going to uh, take out the sarcophagus ship and their main villain, quote unquote. Oh yeah, you know, eight episodes in, nine episodes in, um, which you know clears the deck for a lot of stuff that they could do going forward. Um, I mean, obviously, I want to find out where they are now. I want to find out what's going on with Stamets. So I want to, you know, every oh, the cliffhangers that they left on, I would like, you know, some degree of resolution. Um, but I'm, you know, I trust them at this point. I trust them enough to keep going so um nothing really comes to mind in terms of uh what i need to see um or know as long as they do me right <laughs> all right nice Kennedy, you got any predictions uh no predictions i just want to know why michael burnham is the main character of this show <laughs> but because so far that hasn't really been the case I think Lorca I knows. Plays Sorry? I think Lorca knows. Yeah, I think he does. And I think that all of the talk about the captain is not the main character might not be true. But this show keeps surprising me all the time. And I hope that keeps up. Yeah, I don't really see Michael as, as so much as the main character as she is just an anchor point for us. You know, we mm. kind of we kind of keep going back to her. We venture off and go to other characters a lot, but we we go back to her, you know, eventually. So she's supposed to be our, I guess, our way in. So, yeah. Okay. By the way, uh, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream is a short story written by Harlan Ellison in 1967. 
Okay. I knew I had Harlan, heard it over the that. over the weekend, and I, I I think maybe there was a Twilight Zone episode that they called that or something. There, there, I don't know. Well, there was a scene in Black Mirror where that occurred, the latest season. Okay. And it was vaguely Star Trek related, so maybe. And by the way, have, yeah, have you all seen the 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 the, the Callister? I did. I, yeah. I I liked it. I um, did too. That was fun. great. Um. I was wondering if we want to. It's better than the Orville. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have something I'll, I'll say about it, but I'll save it for after the show because I don't want to spoil it for the listeners. But, uh, but I'll, yeah. I will say I've, I've, I've watched the whole season of the Orville, and it does get better. It doesn't get great. It gets kind of okay. And it's not consistent in that. There's so, Rick, a- you're fine. You're fine not watching it anymore. <laughs> yeah. But, the, now, but, there are episodes, but there are episodes that are actually pretty good yeah there's a couple of episodes towards the end of the season that the 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 story like the sci-fi story is really good now yeah. they still they've still got a lot of that stupid stuff mixed in with it but i there was a couple episodes at the end of the season that i watched and i was like man they this could have been a star trek episode this yeah. is really my, good, my, you know? my big complaint is that it it does not have the right mix of sci-fi and drama and comedy yeah. but there are there are a couple episodes where they where they do get the mix right and it's nice it's good to see yeah um it shows some, some promise are, some are more dramatic yeah some are, yeah it's got some promise for season so, two that's for sure so okay. It, okay, it is well, i wouldn't say watch it every week but you know if you're binging yeah all the episodes are available on Hulu now, so you can go check that out. And all the episodes of Black Mirror are available on Netflix. And all the episodes of Star Trek Discovery that have aired so far are all available on CBS All Access. And the one thing that I would like to see change about Star Trek Discovery is that they changed the host of After Trek. Uh-huh. <laughs> Matt Myra is kind of... He's too goofy for that show. He His humor works works on a podcast or a comedy show. But on this show, he kind of talks himself into a corner a lot, and it seems really awkward. <laughs> well, he's he's a little too self-referential, and yeah. I do like him. I, I, I agree with you. I like him. I, lo- I love him on various other podcasts. I like him on the Nerdist. Um, and I like him on the he does he does a uh, podcast with uh, Kevin Smith, where they watch episodes of Frasier, and it's called Talk Salad and Scrambled Eggs or something like that. And, uh, and he's yeah. pretty good on that. But Talk Salad. My my um, my other problem with after trek is um you know it's obviously styled after you know like talking dead or these other after shows yeah those shows will do trivia from the episode you just watched his show does trivia from all of star trek lore so again i'm a more casual star trek fan name the episode i don't know man i just watched this one can you ask me about the one i just saw (laughs) i'll get that one yeah i don't know what what Riker said in episode 209? I don't know. I, you know what I'd it like to see them change? It makes me feel dumb and it makes me feel bad. <laughs> you make me feel bad, Matt Myra. <laughs> what I'd love to see them change is, yeah, My- Myra needs to go. Uh, I- I've, I've, he doesn't bother me as much as he did at the beginning, but it's still... I think, <sighs> it, I think it could work. I think it just needs some tweaking. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to give up on him yet. But also, if you're going to Skype in guests... Get them a decent computer, <laughs> decent internet. Yeah, they, they had some <laughs> issues with their Skype, and it. I was really amazed at how much trouble a major production uh, company show was having, uh, just just using Skype. I'm like, man. 
Well, it's obvious they're just they're just having these people Skype from their homes or their offices or whatever. And so if yeah. they've got a decent internet setup, then they're fine. But if their internet sucks, like the last episode with the writers, and it was like, mm-hmm. dude, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. <laughs> okay. So I want to remind everyone that we have another podcast that comes out every week where we talk about other stuff besides Star Trek, and we'd love for you to come check it out. It's uh, Cosmic Potato, the Super Fan Talk podcast, and you'll find that over at CosmicPotato.com. Right now we've got an episode out where we do a spoiler-filled review of The Last Jedi, and uh, so you should go check that out. And as far as this show... I love Tweaky in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) you'll uh, You'll always find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Audio Boom, or over at simplysyndicated.com, where you'll also find a whole bunch of other great podcasts about all kinds of topics. And while you're there, you should think about joining Simply Everything. I think it's about $10 American every month. It's and, like eight and uh, change, actually. Yeah, and you'll get uh, access to their entire back catalog of shows. And uh, we're also we're on Facebook. Uh, we have a group called fans of simply syndicated discovery after show. I'm soon going to change the name of that because it's too long, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're trying to build a community. Just call it nerds. Yeah. Nerds <laughs> for the <laughs> listeners. So you can go there and you can tell us what you thought of each episode of star Trek discovery. You can tell us what you uh, think about what you heard here on this podcast. And we have a way for you to send us a voicemail or a text message. Just call Erico two Oh five, six, four, two, eight, three, eight, zero. And uh, I'll play those messages on the air. I dare you. I double dare you. <laughs> everybody that sends <laughs> us a text message. Okay, I wanted to ask you guys something. The original plan was that everybody that sends us a text message or a voicemail or writes on the Facebook group or leaves us a iTunes review will go into a drawing and the winner will win a copy of Desperate Hours. Now, okay. Rick does not endorse that book. <laughs> no, that would, that would be a porn, that would be a punishment. <laughs> so I'm wondering if uh, we should just tell the listeners that you will win something. I don't know what it will be, and it will be discovery related. I don't know if it'll be that book because I also have an issue with that book where I tried to contact the author and uh, he he wouldn't talk to me and he would not provide us with an autographed copy. So I was like... Turns out he doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, that, that's, that's not his fault. That's not his fault. C- I know. CBS, CBS is keeping a tight lock on all stuff like that right now. I know. But uh, uh, but you will win something. It, it's it, not a bad book. It's just not good. And, and I'm also very... I'm hard to please with this these Star Trek novels. Um, but we'll talk about that afterwards. I'm, uh, has anyone left us a, a voicemail? We had one early in the show. Uh, we haven't had okay. one since then. So... So everybody, send us a voicemail. Well, not everybody send us a voicemail, but some people send us voicemail. Yeah, every, every come on, break the server. I triple dog dare you. I'm not sure if my I'm not sure if my Google account can handle all that, but um, or send a, you can send us a text message to the same number. You know, so two zero five six four two eight three eight zero. I'll get the text message immediately, and I will uh, and I will read those uh, on the show, or I will read some of them here on the show, but. Um, but anyway, if you do that, we'll I'll, we'll do a drawing at the end of the this season of the podcast, and we'll uh, we'll give a prize of some sort that has to do with discovery. It may be a poster, it may be a tribble, it may be something. You know, it'll be something. Um, okay, Kennedy, thanks, thanks for being here tonight. And yeah, cool. <laughs> and uh, John, one hour you talking. said. One yeah, hour. Yeah, I, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I kept you up late. <laughs> John, always good to talk to you. Yeah, man. And Rick, pleasure as always. I thank you. It was fun. 
And that'll do it for this bonus episode of the show. We'll be back in uh, a few days to review the new episode titled Despite Yourself, directed by Jonathan Frakes. I want a little more about Saru. I want a little more about Saru. That's it. That's it. <laughs> I thought it was too late. I want a little, a little, a little bit more. Okay. I was having a seizure, folks. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. No, that's it. That's what, that's what that's oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Good night, folks. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show. Your feedback is welcome. Leave us a comment and review on iTunes or follow us on Facebook. The views and opinions stated on this program are those of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of Simply Syndicated, CBS, Paramount Pictures, or their sponsors. Star Trek Discovery is owned by CBS and has no affiliation with Simply Syndicated or this podcast. No infringement of copyrighted material is intended. Be sure to join us again next week as we analyze another episode of Star Trek Discovery here on Simply Syndicated's Discovery After Show.